Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Today, I have my friend, Britt Paytos, who is the founder of Infant Feeding Care, on with me. And we're going to be diving into all the things you need to know about choosing a bottle. A lot of parents just think that you just choose one or whatever your neighbor or your sister or your best friend use is also going to be appropriate for your baby. And that, unfortunately... It's just not the truth. There's a lot of things that we want to be considering when it comes to bottle mechanics, the nipple size, the nipple flow, the nipple shape, even how the bottle interacts with uh, the flow of all of that. So Britt, uh, before we get started, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to dive into all this because I think, again, a lot of people think that choosing a bottle is super simple um, and that it really doesn't impact too much on your feeding journey, but that's not true. Can you start us off with why we need to be very intentional with choosing bottles? Yeah, you know, I think you're right that um, oftentimes people choose whatever, you know, their friends gave them or um, whatever somebody recommended, uh, you know, and for a lot of babies, that can be really fine. You know, there are a lot of babies who will eat from whatever bottle you put in their mouth and they will be fine. But there are also a lot of babies where we really need to be thoughtful about the bottles that we're choosing when we're doing bottle feeding. Um, and also, you know, I think for families who are trying to do a combination of breastfeeding and bottle feeding, that's also a scenario where we need to be thoughtful about the flow rate in particular. Um, you know, uh, manufacturers make bottles in all sorts of crazy shapes and sizes. And, you know, there's really been a push uh, in the last several years to make bottles that look like the breast. Um, you know, and the reality is that they don't act like the breast in a baby's mouth. So, you know, I think they're um, for families who are doing a combination of breastfeeding and bottle feeding, having a nipple that encourages the baby to latch in a similar, somewhat similar way. So having, you know, kind of a wider neck of a bottle um, can be helpful to encourage the baby to sort of position their mouth in, the, in a similar way. But we also need to know that the way that that nipple sort of moves in the baby's mouth once they're latched 
is not at all how the breast actually works. Um, you know, there's other babies, um, you know, a lot of sort of full-term, otherwise healthy babies, um, like I said, they can eat from pretty much any type of bottle and, and be pretty safe. But there are lots of babies, even full-term babies, who, you know, do some things like choking and coughing and even gagging. Um, or if we see them doing things like drooling, um, where we have some milk that comes out of the side of the mouth. But in particular, um, babies who are born prematurely um, and babies with any type of cardiac or respiratory illness or disease, those babies, it is really, really important that we're choosing a bottle that has a safe flow rate. Um, so I, you know, most of my work um, is around flow because I think that is the most important part of um, choosing a bottle in terms of safety. So, you know, the shape and the size can really um, be important when we look at things like how well they latch, um, the position of their mouth. But when it comes to safety, it's really flow rate that's the most important. And you talked about having bottles that are um, encouraging for babies. I assume you mean having a slower flow rate than what the breast does so that they don't get used to, or what some people may call lazy baby, lazy eater, don't get lazy at the breast, right? We want them to always be having more flow or heavier flow from the breast than we do the bottle. Yeah. So, you know, when people talk about things like nipple confusion, um, I really think that that's more of a flow confusion. So, you know, when a baby goes to breast, they have to suck, 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 and wait and be patient until the flow starts, right? Um, and then, you know, breastfeeding, the flow is not necessarily slow the whole time. It actually is pretty variable. So it can actually be quite fast sometimes during the letdown. Um, and then we'll slow down for different periods and it'll it'll change over the course of of a feeding. The difference between that and a bottle is that as soon as they latch onto that bottle, the flow starts going, you know, the milk starts coming. Um, and then it's pretty consistent. It's basically always there and always the same until the milk runs out. Um, and so, you know, when we're doing a combination of breastfeeding and bottle feeding, we want to encourage them to be patient. <laughs> so that's why, you know, a slower flow encourages them to have a nice strong latch um, and is also sort of encouraging them to be patient. But also, you know, at least in the first several months of life, sucking is reflexive. So if you put a bottle in a baby's mouth and it has a really fast flow and there's a lot of milk in there, they're gonna suck and suck and suck and they're gonna suck down that bottle real fast because it's basically just a reflex. And if it's really fast flow, their body doesn't have a chance to kind of tell them to hang, like, wait up, I'm, I'm full. Um, so that's why, you know, when for breastfeeding in particular, for families doing a combination of the two, having a slower flow is better for, for kind of all of those reasons.
And so when we introduce bottles, a lot of parents are worried that it's actually going to disrupt their breastfeeding journey, right? But then there's also that tug that I need a break and it'd be really nice if my partner could help me. And also it'd be really nice if a postpartum doula could give my baby a bottle so that I could actually get sleep I'm paying for. Like my mother-in-law, my mom, like the big sibling wants to give the baby a bottle. How do we balance the freedom of, of bottle feeding with also not disrupting our breastfeeding journey? Yeah, that's a really great, great question. Um, so, you know, I think initially, um, because babies have to use their mouths differently <laughs> at a breast than they do at a bottle, um, waiting to introduce a bottle until they have kind of established a good latch to the breast can be helpful just to make sure that they learn that good latch at the breast. Um, at the same time, you're absolutely right. You know, there's a lot that happens in those first few weeks. It is so important that, you know, families are getting, moms in particular are getting a little bit of a break, getting some rest. And so, you know, um, I think the thing about in these early couple of weeks is, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to any of it. And really, just being open to what you need. Um, and if you really need a break, then take a break and it's not gonna ruin everything, you know? Like, um, so yes, absolutely. One bottle's not gonna ruin it for you guys. So let's say that we <laughs> do see some regression in breastfeeding because it definitely happens. I, Britt and I are not trying to say that, um, you know, like breast refusal is not a thing or that, you know, baby's processing is not a thing. So let's talk about that. What do we do is the answer to remove the bottle and to kind of give your baby the breast every single time until they get comfortable with that again? I would say so. Yeah, I think really, you know, if the goal is to continue breastfeeding, um, then I would say really focus on that first. Um, one of the things uh, is also sort of if baby is doing some refusal, not waiting until they're starving and screaming. Um, and so sort of watching those early cues, sort of maybe offering the breast before they start to get really super hungry so that they're just a little bit more calm and more likely to sort of be um, willing to, to, to breastfeed. Um, again, you know, waiting until they're really, really hungry. And then if they have, are starting to develop a preference, they're gonna sort of have that preference towards the easier right away milk flow, right? Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. It's really hard to feed a pissed off baby, you guys. It's, I mean, it's hard to feed them from your boob, but it's also really hard to give them a bottle. A pissed off yes. baby is a really hard little tiny creature to feed. So Britt, what kind of cues are we looking for for hunger? If crying is the last cue, and that means your baby's kind of now over hungry and they're pissed, what are we looking for as that buildup of like, oh, they might be hungry? Yeah, so some of the early sort of cues that they're starting to, you know, if they've been sleeping peacefully and now they're starting to move around, you might see even if their eyes are still closed, doing some sort of rapid eye movements where you can see their eyes kind of moving behind their closed eyelids. Um, you know, some of the rooting 
moving their head around, maybe bringing their hands up to their up to their mouth. Um, those are all some of the early cues that you would be looking for. What about sticking their tongue out? I have a lot of people who ask if thrusting their tongue out is a sign, are they hungry? Um, I mean, it certainly can be. You know, I think babies also do that a lot, just, um, you know, that's kind As of- As a baby. Yes. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily mean that they're still hungry, uh, but it can, if, you know, combined with some other things and combined with it's been a while since they, they ate fast. It's really, it's really all about finding the cues from your baby. So every baby's going to have their own different cues. Um, so I think it's really nice for you to know kind of like what do all the cues mean and then start to pick up on, on what your individual baby starts to display when they are hungry. Same thing when they're tired. They're going to have cues when they're tired. Um, they're going to have cues when it's time for them to poop, when they are bored. Um you know, your baby is a human. So let's not forget that they are going to have their own personality and their own kind of quirks and characteristics like we all have too. I know it's so funny to think about our babies as having these adult things, um, but they do, you guys, they really do. Um, okay. So Britt, we talked about introducing a bottle and maybe holding off a little bit until breastfeeding is established regularly we hear three or four weeks. Is that also what you kind of typically recommend um, as, as starting to think about it? So what happens if at three or four weeks breastfeeding is not going well? Do we not introduce a bottle and hold off on that? So this, this gets really tricky, right? Because this baby needs to eat. Um, and so, you know, I think you really need to be, if breastfeeding is still not going well, working, making sure that you're getting the support you need for that. So whether that's working with, you know, some type, type of lactation support person um, and, you know, work, figuring out if there's something else going on with a baby, do they have a tongue tie? Do they have, you know, is there something going on sort of GI wise? Are they constipated or do they have reflux? Are there things that are contributing to this that we need to be managing. Um, but at the same time, we need to make sure that this baby is fed. And so, um, you know, that's always a really hard balance. Um, and I think every case is unique, mm. uh, but making sure that you have the support in place to have breastfeeding be, you know, as good as it can be for you and your baby. Um, but then, you know, sort of trying to figure out that balance with also making sure that they're getting the nutrition that they need. Yeah, you guys, this is a great place to like get in touch with a lactation person, an IBCLC, a CLC. Um, if you are a member of the Birth Lounge, we have 20 or 30 videos on lactation. We bring experts in there to talk about lactation. There is support out there. Um, and many insurances will reimburse you for lactation support. Not all of them. It'll be dependent on um, your insurance, but definitely give that a try. There is support out there for sure. Um, I think one of the things that's really big in lactation support specifically is not waiting until the problem feels so overwhelming that you are just ready to like give up and do something totally different. Don't let it build. When, when you first start to see problems, go ahead and get some support in there. The quicker that we nip things in the bud, the faster that we can usually get them resolved. Um, all right, Britt. So nipple flows. Can we assume that the bottles that have the venting systems are flowing faster or slower? Does it matter if they look like a boob? The long nipples, are they faster or slower? How do we know as consumers 
what we're looking at when it comes to nipple flow. So this has been such an interesting journey for me. Um, I started looking at this when I was doing my PhD and I wanted to study um, how babies who had cardiac defects um, responded to different flow rates of nipples. And so I sort of started asking myself, well, you know, what, what does slow flow mean? What does standard flow mean? You know, they have these labels on the package and, you know, how do I know that one is different than the other? And so I, you know, I developed this whole system of being able to test the flow rates of um, bottle nipples. And it has been truly fascinating <laughs> in ways I could have never imagined um, because really the labels mean absolutely nothing. Okay, um, <laughs> no, there is no regulation whatsoever um, of sort of what packaging says. So, you know, there's regulation to make sure that there's not like lead in, in the silicone and things like that. But in terms of flow rates and packaging, none of it actually means anything. So, you know, even within the same brand, um, two different products that have the same label can have really different flow rates. Um, so for example, the Philips Avent Natural and Philips Avent Anti-Colic bottles, um, even if they both say zero months plus, uh, they are drastically different flow rates. At the same time, um, even within the same brand, two different flow rates can actually be so similar that they're essentially not any different from each other. Um, so marketing ploys. This is all just filled with marketing ploys. Yeah, you know, and um, I, you know, I'm not sure that it's a marketing ploy as much as it is really just not having any standardization. Exactly. Um, and really not having a way of testing it until I sort of came up with this. And so, um, you know, some companies now are, are getting very interested in how their products compare to other company products. Um, and it has now become part of my mission to develop some standardization and develop um, you know, some standard testing methods. Uh, so actually I have some exciting things coming soon this year uh, where I'm, you know, hoping to, to advance this area a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think as consumers, it's really hard because you assume that if one brand says, you know, newborn flow or level one, you would assume that it means something similar to another brand's level one. And actually that's not at all the case. And that's super confusing and that's very unfortunate. So what about the same nipple size within the same brand? So if I buy six different size ones from all Dr. Brown's, can I expect them all to be similar or is that also going to have different flow rates? So that is also something that I've looked at. Um, and not always. So there are some brands that are actually very consistent, one nipple to another. Um, I have found, and I don't have any relationship with Dr. Brown's, so I'll say that. Um, but I have found that actually their products are pretty consistent. So 
Um, whereas other brands, if you pick one nipple and look at the exact same, you know, package and everything of the, that it can be a very different story. And, you know, again, this for a lot of babies that can be fine. Um, but for our babies who are struggling with feeding, and again, those babies who are born premature, those babies with any cardiac or respiratory disease, you know, those babies often have difficulties with feeding. Um, and when they're learning to feed and learning to feed safely, we really need to be offering them the same circumstances while they're learning. So that is gonna help them to know, okay, when I'm eating, I can latch sort of with this strength of my, and of course these aren't sort of conscious thoughts that they're having, but, sure. but, it's, but it's a learning process. They're developing all those connections in their brain to tell them, okay, I latch like this, I can suck this many times and then I need to swallow. I can coordinate my breathing and my sucking and my swallowing in a way that keeps me safe. If we're changing up the flow rate, every feeding, even if we think we're using the same nipple, but because it's not very consistent, it's different from one feed to another, they're constantly having to adjust all of those things. And so it makes it more difficult for them to learn how to eat. Yeah, that inconsistency must be really hard. I mean, so many adults struggle with inconsistency. So being a newborn, having to learn kind of a new skill, because, you know, guys, breastfeeding is a learned skill. Yes, your baby knows Absolutely. how to do it, but they have to learn how to do it. Um, it's, you know, written in their DNA, but they don't come here ever having done it before. It's really a brand new skill. Um, that must be super hard. So are there brands and nipples that are better than others for, I'm not going to say for all babies or like for all families, but maybe babies who are specifically struggling and, or have um, one of the factors that you've been mentioning that may impact feeding. Yeah. So um, the Phillips Advent natural nipples, I have um, found that those are really quite slow. Um, interestingly, they actually just changed their product and now have what's called a responsive nipple. Um, and I have them and I haven't tested them yet, but I will be doing that soon. Uh, so actually if people are interested and, um, I'll share my website at the end, but I'll be, I'll be sort of alerting people to those findings as soon as I'm done with that testing. Um, some of the other, so Dr. Brown's preemie. Um, that is available to people, you know, you can purchase that pretty much anywhere. Um, that is pretty slow and pretty consistent. Uh, the Komotomo um, slow flow is, it's on sort of the faster side of slow, um, but it's sort of still in that, uh, that group of, of nipples that's, you know, on the slower side. Uh, there's also like the Playtex Ventair, um, and there's a, a newer company called Infant, N-F-A-N-T. Uh, they have a couple of um, nipples now uh, that they sell. They were available on Amazon at one point, but um, I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. Uh, but they have some nipples that are on the slower end. Um, so those are kind of the ones that if I'm working with a baby who's really struggling, those are the products that I would go towards. 
That's really good to know that you have options. Um, so quick question about the preemie. Are preemie and size zero, are they the same or is it worth distinguishing between the two? Oh, it's so interesting. Um, I know preemie and zero are not always the same. Um, actually, <laughs> in some cases, uh, so, you know, when babies are in the hospital, oftentimes they're offered uh, some of the disposable um, nipple products. Uh, and so in some cases, those disposable products have a preemie label on them, but they're actually faster than the standard flow, um, which has also been really interesting to learn and share with people in the hospital because um, it's just not at all what we would have expected. So those companies are starting to make some changes now, um, mostly based on my work and, and letting them know. Uh, but, you know, so no, preemie doesn't always mean what you think it's going to mean. Uh, and we really need to data to, to guide those decisions if we have a baby who's really struggling. I'm so honored to be in the presence of such a like shaker upper. I love it. I love it so much. So it that is fascinating to me that in the hospital, we're offering nipples that actually may be hurting breastfeeding relationships. Cause if they're if they're actually faster than than what that parents, you know, milk is. And in the beginning, it's colostrum. So it's actually not gonna even be able to compete at all with a bottle. That's actually pretty harmful. That's sad. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the, the ready to feed bottles that come in three ounces, you know, in the early days of breastfeeding, your baby's stomach is so small. And, but again, their sucking is reflexive. So like I said, if you put that really fast disposable nipple on a three ounce bottle, they might suck that whole thing down. Um, and it's not because they need it, it's because it's reflexive. And then they actually might spit it up because their stomach's really just not big enough to handle that. Um, so, you know, things that people can do, and actually, interestingly, those disposable products are often faster than what's even available kind of in general places that we might shop for baby things. Um, so, in some cases, like bringing your own. <laughs> a bottle and nipple system, especially if you've done some work to look at like what is fast or slow um, and choosing something that's slower, bringing it, you know, to the hospital with you. Again, you know, if they're, if you're planning to do some bottle feeding, starting them off with a bottle that you're going to give them and that they can learn from, this is every feeding is a learning opportunity, whether it's a breast or bottle. And so really encouraging every feeding to be as positive and as good of a learning experience as we can, it can be. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This conversation has just blown my mind. I've <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so Brett, I have a question about some of the factors that may lead to having difficulties feeding. We've had a couple children in our community specifically that have Down syndrome. Would that be something that might impact feeding that we really want to be aware of the nipple flow? Absolutely. Yeah. So babies with Down syndrome um, tend to be a little bit hypotonic, meaning they don't have quite the same um, sort of muscle tone. 
And so, you know, those babies often do struggle with feeding and they are babies that we want to, again, make sure that every feeding is a positive learning experience. And so, you know, one of the things about flow too is that when flow is really fast, babies can sort of create this really weak latch to the bottle. And so they don't really have to work too hard. Sometimes they can even like munch on the nipple and the milk will just come out for them. Um, so those babies who are having a little bit of difficulty or babies with Down syndrome who might be sort of naturally have a little bit lower tone, we wanna slow down the flow and encourage them to create a really nice strong latch. Um, that's gonna help them create that musculature in their mouth that then becomes really important for things like speech later on. So we don't want them to be creating that really weak sort of loose latch that you, know, you can move the bottle in and out really easily. We want to be seeing that they have a nice strong latch um, and that is encouraging the, you know, their muscles to build up. That'll play a role too in introducing solids. I mean, we need our babies to have really strong jaw muscles to introduce solids and we want their gag reflex to be at a place where it can actually um, kind of tell the difference between liquids and solids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, that musculature and all of those muscles, you know, they have to really create a latch that incurred, you know, their tongue has to be involved and be really, you know, creating that strong latch. And then that tongue musculature becomes really important for managing solids when that happens. Um, so absolutely, you know, there's a lot of things that go into this that um, become really important later on down the line as well. Yeah. So one of my last questions is I've, we have tons of people who ask this and I, I really don't know where they get it. It always baffles me when we get this question. Um, I think only because I would never think to do this. Is there any reason that we would need to take a bottle nipple and compare it to our breast to to see if they are similar. So if I have short nipples, am I trying to have a bottle nipple that also has a short nipple? If I have longer nipples, am I trying to have a bottle that has a longer nipple? Does that matter at all? You know, like I said earlier, the way that the breast moves within the baby's mouth when they are breastfeeding, even nipples that might appear short or appear long um, when the baby's not latched on, that nipple really moves into the baby's mouth and then moves pretty far back into their, in sort of in their throat. Um, and a bottle is just not gonna do that. The way that the silicone or the plastic works, it's not gonna move in that same way. So, you know, there's certainly some babies latch better to different shapes and sizes of bottles, um, but I don't, I personally don't think that we need to be worrying too much about whether they look like the nipple, the breast. Um, you know, I think they just function so differently that it, that's not that important. Yeah, they're just different tools, right? So we're never going to replace the breast with a bottle. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up. Um, they're not going to be interchangeable like that. Your baby's never going to confuse your warm, fleshy nipple with a silicone nipple. They may have a preference, uh, but they're never going to be confused on that. 
yeah, if they appear confused at all, it's usually just, like you said, developing a preference that tends to be more about flow rate than about the shape or size. It's their first dose of personality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get used to it. <laughs> okay, so Britt, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to leave our community with um, or anything that we didn't chat about that you think is very uh, important for people in particular to know about flow rates or nipples before they choose a bottle? Yeah, I think we covered a lot of the most important stuff. Um, Say if you're interested in this and you know want to learn more, I will be sharing more through my newsletter. Um, so if you want to um, come to my website, it's www.infantfeedingcare.com. Um, you can sign up for the newsletter, and I'll be sharing some important information coming out pretty soon, um, including, like I said, uh, the new flow rate of the new Avent product. Um, if you're in Massachusetts and your baby is struggling or you're close enough that you can come to Massachusetts and need help, um, I am seeing patients clinically for both breastfeeding and bottle feeding support. Um, so that information is available through my website as well. That's awesome. Britt has some amazing data, you guys. We send our people to Britt to take care of all of their lactation stuff. Um, and they all come out fixed up better than when we sent them in. So um, she gets our seal, a seal of approval um, on this end. So Britt, thank you. thank you so much for this conversation. This was great from flow rates to complications that can happen to how do we distinguish between the marketing to when do we introduce a bottle to what do I do if my baby decides they don't like my boob anymore? This has just been a conversation that is going to change so many lives. I'm so grateful that you joined us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, guys, we will see you next week for another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. Until then, if you're listening on the podcast, check us out on Instagram at Tranquility by Hehe or over on YouTube. And if you're watching us on YouTube, head over to Instagram and find us or check us out on the podcast. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.